Welcome back to Fresh Off the Spaceship. I'm Larry Mizell Jr., DJ and writer here at KEXP in Seattle, and your guide in this podcast. And I'm Martin Douglas, your co-host and staff writer at KEXP. In this series, we're illuminating the different stars of the Black Constellation, the artist collective that's transmitted revolutionary sound sights and ideas through space and time. If you're just joining us, make sure to clear some space out and check out the first two episodes. Those set up some real important context for this episode, where we witness the reinvention of Ishmael Butler as Palisir Lazaro of Shabazz Palaces. At the end of our last episode, Ishmael Butler had just planted the seeds of Shabazz Palaces. This week, we watch as the musical project goes from local sensation to amassing an international cult following, touring with bands like Radiohead and My Morning Jacket, releasing critically acclaimed albums beloved by some of your favorite rappers, and eventually bringing together the voices that make up the Black Constellation. At the end of this episode, Martin and I will break down some of the themes we find coded in the music and lyrics of Shabazz Palaces. But I want to start today with a moment in the story that has particular significance to me. Seattle, it is about that time. Deuce 8, 23rd, Union and Jackson, Cherry Street, MLK, Rainier to Henderson, Valley Dudes, CD to the South End, T-Town on the check-in, L-City, straight to the up top. It's Sunday night in the big town, overcast and raining in the place to be. 90.3 KEXP in a class by itself. Giving a shout out to Super D and Patrice holding it down at Good Hair Salon. What's up to my open on the check-in, up on the hill. All the Spice Boys keeping it fresh at the barbershop. Yes, yes, y'all, getting into some local boys done good. Shabazz Palaces telling all the big heads that you better break bread. I'd never heard anything like this before. It's 2009. I was hosting Street Sounds on KXP. It was my first year being on KXP. And we were hosting the very first performance of Shabazz Palaces that anyone had ever heard. Ishmael, Tendai, and Dougie were performing songs I had just recently become utterly obsessed with live before my very eyes. There wasn't a photographer. This was before we had started doing video of all of our guests, before we had a billion views strong YouTube channel of live performances. Myself and the engineer in the booth that evening were the only ones who were seeing what was happening. The birth of Ishmael's second life. Due to the fall and collapse of the fly body so-called ballers who rap. I twist my bass, tell a stack, don't stall so it's not too far from the track. To be an MC is a pack, not an act, and in fact it's an honor we act to. Styles they'll charm you, they whack but dance cause we way bomber than that dude. But mere months before that in studio, Shabazz palaces were wholly unknown, trying to get their music into people's hands. I'd received a couple of copies from a mysterious benefactor and was immediately struck by the CD packaging. These beautiful handmade cardboard CD cases with these collectible embroidered patches glued to the front. Just beautiful. Really a physical embodiment of the group's outlaw mystique. I'd later find that Ishmael and his daughter Dania were assembling those CDs by hand at home. Those two EPs, Shabazz Palaces, Eagle Soars, Oil Flows, and Of Light, were at first only available directly from the truly mysterious Shabazz website and the local boutique Retail Therapy. Ish, looking to get the EPs into more stores in town, pulled up to the sadly now-gone Queen Anne location of Seattle's beloved Easy Street Records, a block from where KEXP sits today. KEXP DJ Troy Nelson was the buyer there at the time. And before that, Roosevelt... 
covering Fleetwood Macs everywhere, and you heard the music of Air before that with Sexy Boy. I was with Die. I had printed up a thousand CDs of each record, and I went to Easy Street because I knew they did consignment on CDs because I had looked through the stacks and I had seen everybody, like everybody's CD was in there. You feel me? And when I went to go to the counter, it was Troy up there. And he was like, all right, yeah, I'll tell you what, leave me, leave me one of each. I'll listen to it and see if we want to sell it. And I, and I remember thinking like, man, the shit I seen over there, like, Y'all are just taking people's stuff. Like, hold up. There was a process and shit. So I got kind of like, I got kind of like tight at him. You know, I was like, yo, what was this motherfucker? Like, you know, like, asked, he got listen to my, I was like, man, I took all my shit. I didn't leave him. <laughs> I didn't leave him. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, yeah, all right, homie. You know what I'm saying? I get back in the car and stuff. So. I was in the car. He didn't come in with me. So he, I get back in the car. He's like, what's up? I said, man, he talking about he got to listen to my stuff, right? So we sat in the car. I didn't pull off. And we sat in the car for a minute. And I thought about it. You know, I said, you know what, man? It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Ain't, don't be no prima donna. You know what I'm saying? Do whatever you got to do. So I went back in there. And I, I remember saying to Dye, I got to grow up. You know what I'm saying? When I hopped out the car. <laughs> But I went in there and um, I gave him to him and he got back to me. I ended up selling every, basically every CD that I didn't sell online, I sold out of Easy Street. For real, hundreds of CDs, for real. Special delivery, brand new package, signed and sealed and grounded on the back stretch. Super hot. You can find me on the blacklist, but deal with them the elusiveness of the Shabazz project extended way beyond the CD packaging. The packaging, not just of the physical media, but of the whole project was mysterious. And it made you, like, unlike a lot of things that kind of come across mysterious and they fall flat, this was some mystery that you really did want to learn more about especially when you got to the music, when you listen to the Embira all over these tracks, like that, you know, that's something that had not happened in hip hop before. Like if it has, then it's some deep in the crate shit that I don't know about. Sure. And yeah, like the things that Ish is rapping about, like it's so Seattle from like the beats to Ish's rhymes, talking about the the old head Africans at Starbucks. Oh, like man. it felt like of this place, there are few albums that were so powerful that kind of evoked this place of Seattle, especially in rap. Those EPs, made me understand that this was a 
beautiful, game-soaked, space-age, dangerous place, depending on, on who you were and how you were moving, what you were doing, that was full of ancient wisdom. You know, all of that being very true. It's not just like fanciful. All that was presented in a way that felt super true, but at the same time, the music was very unfamiliar and like kind of exotic. The world has been down on me, waiting for this all week. Macking and stacking cream. Tonight I'm on the scene, planning and getting so clean. Early to spark up the car. Everyone's where we are. My baby's on my arm. We got the style and charm. Super slick shit is bomb. I know we looking tough. You won't be looking too much. There go my niggas. What's up? Another rap for us. Turn up the sounds enough. It's going down and blood. So there was a groundswell of support surrounding Shabazz Palace's first two EPs. They had a bunch of people advocating, being like, you got to hear this, you got to hear this, you got to check it out. This doesn't sound like anything else. Either they're telling you it's the guy from Digwo Planets, or they're like, you got to figure out who it is. There's, there's, there's articles coming out that don't have, that, that you can't see a clear face of anybody in the picture. And, and, and it just rung out everywhere. Everybody was kind of talking about it, who was really kind of on on the edge of, of trying to know about new art, new music in town. And it even got up into the Sub Pop offices and was ringing bells up there. And Sub Pop CEO Megan Jasper here recalls the buzz that Shabazz had around the label's offices. Shabazz Palaces was making a splash in Seattle already. Um, there were shows that people were talking about, and it was clear that something really exciting was going on. Ish was really specific and particular about not wanting to use his past to launch his future. He really wanted this new project to stand on its own, to have its own legs. Sub Pop's head of A&R, Tony Keywell, was intrigued by the new project. At that point, um, you know, there were some rumors of Ish's history with Diggable Planets, but, but it wasn't really known. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was really just about like these crazy, like these records are so crazy. <laughs> Have you heard that? And they're, this record is top 10 at Easy Street. This record right. is top 10 at Sonic Boom. So it was, these records were charting on at the local stores like for weeks and weeks and weeks. While Shabazz Palaces were catching fire locally, they were also garnering national attention. Larry Fitzmaurice gave the EP's glowing reviews in Pitchfork, music's premier online tastemaker. So, you know, when Shabazz Palace's EPs started being circulated and building a lot of buzz, I think that there was kind of this feeling of like, oh, okay, there's some people doing some really interesting new things in hip-hop. And in Shabazz Palace's case, it was somebody who was already a veteran at making interesting sounds in hip-hop. So, you know, I do think that it did kind of kickstart a new groundswell of interest in terms of focusing on kind of out-there, left-field sounds going on in hip-hop. I wasn't even hip to Pitchfork at the time. And when that happened, you know, it was a different different little vibe at that point. You know, one thing about hearing the first few Shabazz Palace's EPs uh, in the context that I heard them was that at the time, uh, the project was still largely anonymous. Uh, I and other people who had been talking about it online and listening to it didn't really have any idea of who was behind it. It was never really about secrecy as much it was as it was about letting your um, music speak for you rather than... Because you know how it was back in them days. It was like the personalities were the thing that was driven. And now you, you see where it is now, you know. So 
I was kind of rallying against that, not against it, but wanted to come in a different way. So I wanted to lead with the music. So it was like, yeah, when Cass wanted uh, us to come and perform, I was like, for sure. You know, it wasn't never, yeah. ah, nah, they're going to know my identity. I, I just wanted to earn people the interest rather than people being like, oh, who is that? Oh, let me check it out. And then kind of judging with some preconceptions, you feel right. me? But we're missing a crucial part here. For all the mystery Shabazz was soaked in, there was still even another element in the mix, literally a quantity less known. I remember looking at those EPs and seeing something about how they were produced by Knife Knights. And I was like, well, what is that? And then seeing that Eric Blood was one of those people and wondering, well, who's Eric Blood? You know, is this guy actual blood? I, I pictured some dude wearing like Lokes or something out of 1991. Is this a CD dude like that Ish knows from way back? What's going on here? Eric Blood, in fact, turned out to be a native of Tacoma, 40 minutes south of Seattle, who was a local rock wunderkind, a vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, and producer. Ish had heard the album from Blood's latest band, The Turn-Ons. He was just like, I like the sound and I think we should we should do some shit. So I, of course, was just like, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. And finally, he sent me two songs. He sent me two songs that ended up being on one of the first EPs and I just kind of messed with them, sent them back. And then, yeah, then it was just, we booked a couple weeks at MRX and just sat at the studio for, you know, every day, just working on these beats and tracking vocals and that was that that was <laughs> I, th- I, always, I kept thinking it was going to be cherry wine i thought it was just going to be a cherry wine release again but uh he had <laughs> he had other plans obviously <laughs> Things seemed like they were getting serious with Shabazz Palaces. Shabazz had started working with Jonathan Moore. And Jonathan was an MC, DJ, producer, promoter, everything, plus artist manager, who had helped build the Seattle hip-hop scene as we knew it, with his own group, Source of Labor, and his company, Jasiri Media Group. He was really instrumental into bringing hip-hop into the town's wider music scene. Everybody knew John, a.k.a. Wordsayer the mayor of Seattle hip-hop. And anybody in the hip-hop scene who was really doing something had worked with John. Not long after that, Shabazz's first live show was booked. The word went out. Posters went up of a sword-wielding figure on camelback. Shabazz Palace's first official show at the club, Numos. It would be the first week of January 2010. The very first ever Shabazz Palace's show was the stuff of legend in Seattle. I mean, I remember... Uh, the excitement, the electricity around it. There was steam rising, it felt like. And Ish and Dai comes out. Ish has got this, uh, like, turban, kind of a, a head wrap. You, he's got some big mirrored glasses on. You can't really see his face. Uh, there's a couple dancers who come out. And it was just kind of a setup I'd never seen. Uh, him rapping, uh, him with the laptop and some some uh, samplers and Tendai playing uh, Bira and the congas. People had their phones up trying to catch video of this new paradigm. See, see. 
see, I'm just like you. You might know I'm a mess. Back a minute to fight. Take an hour to dress. Got this pain in my neck. Clearing, staring, it's gone. Like any time I remote. Drinking, driving my car. Stasia Irons, a.k.a. Stas the Boss, who'd go on, of course, to be a frequent collaborator with Ishmael, also recalls attending that first Shabazz show. They came on, this guy, Ishmael, had his head wrap on, the glasses, the lighting was, like, different. Like, nobody was doing that shit. Like, he paid attention to all the details. It felt like I was transported. You know, I was front and center because I wanted to experience it, like, for real, for real. So I was, like, in the front row, just, like shocked and amazed the whole time just vibing I didn't know any of the songs but like I was just like in it it was so wild and so surreal yeah I still think about that show Sub Pop's Tony Keywell was in the house as well and people were just like what the hell is going on here like this is insane this is the craziest thing to seemingly come out of nowhere yeah Uh, this fully formed and this just interesting and and cool, like just dead cool from minute one. And it was just uh, absolutely one of the illest things I've ever seen. And it was absolutely a break in the continuum of what was going on in local music. There was before that and there was after that. And anybody who was around at the time could probably tell you the same. You bought your titles and your writings and your show was hope. I got my bird on and thousand dollars shirt and told your little bitch to let me know. She smiled, I styled, I'm wild. I live out loud, I'm proud. Black beast wear yellow sneaks and pink shirts. They stand out in the crowd. When the wind blew, you bent to the changing times and call it shining. I straight went to the top of my mind into a new grind, nigga. That's what a true pimp do. Your rap's a corporation, a soft drink, nigga. What can y'all tell us? It's for all the chicks and fellas in the hoods, y'all's barrios and flavellas. That show was heralded by The Stranger as the best concert of 2010, days after it took place in January. And then The Stranger, <laughs> these fools came out on their, on their, next, <laughs> on their next cover. Is this is this is in January, mind you. Yeah. They got a picture of me on the cover and it says the best show of 20, whatever year that was, already happened. Right. <laughs> Coming off the mixed reception of his last project, Cherry Wine, there was some relief in the fact that Shabazz Palaces was already resonating powerfully with audiences. You know, when you're working on something, you you got confidence in it, in it in and of itself. And you know the, what you put into it. Mm. But when you throw it out into a marketplace, you don't really know what's going to happen. So I was excited that to have a good response, you know? It's hard to overstate the power that this first show had. It was the first time people were seeing Shabazz Palaces, but it was also a return. Seattle's prodigal son showing a city new sounds and a new future. Man, if you talk about it, it's a show. But if you move about it, then it's a go. Man, if you talking about it, it's a show. But if you move about it, then it's a go. Man, if you talking about it, it's a show. But a nigga move about it, then it's a go. Man, if you talking about it, that show. But if you move about it, then it's a go. It was an easy call for Sub Pop to sign Shabazz Palaces in 2010, completing the dream trajectory of a buzzing Northwest band. The anticipation around Shabazz's next move positively crackled in the air that year. Black Up, Shabazz Palace's debut full-length, was released in 2011 to rapturous acclaim. 
received an 8.8 rating on Pitchfork, along with its coveted Best New Music stamp. The AV Club gave the album a perfect score. Sub Pop received widespread praise for having the foresight to put out such a bold statement in the field of hip-hop music, to the point where some erroneously thought Black Up was the label's first rap release. We're definitely not known for, uh, uh, you know, our, our hip-hop releases. Uh, and some people, I think, did characterize it as our first hip-hop release, which I don't think is entirely accurate. Sub Pop had, in fact, released an album by the hip-hop band The Evil Tambourines sometime in the 90s, and of course, in that same decade, had distributed the local label Conception Records. Certainly, it had been a long time since we dabbled uh, in that world. And largely just because we were always afraid that we couldn't do the job, right? Sure. Like that, th- that we didn't have the marketing acumen for that genre, right? And it was only finding someone like Ish who was like, I'm more interested in this, and I'm not worried about you failing me at this. Like, mm-hmm. we can work together on that stuff. And we're like, okay, cool, great, because we would love to do this. We just yeah. don't want to suck at doing it. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, but it was great. There were a lot of people who were surprised that we were releasing a hip-hop record. And um, th- one of the things I always appreciated about Ish when that conversation would come up is that he would bring it back to, in, instead of um, labeling genres, he would just bring it back to it being music and expression. Yeah. And I loved that because, you know, the world was ready for that. The world didn't wasn't at a place where, you know, we had to talk about indie rock or folk music or whatever. It, we were listening to all sorts of different music, all sorts of different genres, and it was music. It was expression. It was art. Always, you know, his creativity, Ish was driving all of this, right? Like all of all of this stuff. And we were stoked to have somebody with ideas because frankly, like that's a struggle for us. We're putting out a lot of records. It's sometimes hard for us to come up with a new different idea for something. And we really do lean on the artists to help us find new interesting things to to do with each record release. So Ish was just a fountain of ideas, right? And concepts come off of conversations all the time right? Uh, with me. Right. You know, with, with y'all, you know what I mean? Like, I can take stuff like that and go off into my creative world with a lot of material and a lot of things to draw from just based on talking. You know, when Ish first came to Sub Pop, it was kind of a trip because he's, you know, like, he's not really a quiet person all the time. He's a really good listener, but he's it's not like he shies away from sharing his thoughts or opinions about anything, but he was really quiet and he was, I think he was just really taking everything in. And when someone's quiet, you don't totally know what they're thinking. And so I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, I hope that he, I hope he's having a good experience here. Um, But, uh, and I'm guessing he did because we were so lucky to have, Shabazz signed with some pop. In a 2011 in-studio here at KEXP, Ish talks with our own Cheryl Waters about signing a sub pop. What drew you to sub pop? Um, like effortless integrity and um, vision, you know, that's exciting and like motivating. 
the other artists on the label, um, listening to them and seeing them gives you a perspective on, you know, the amount of talent and expertise and just yeah. dedication to music and love for music that it seems like everybody that works at the label shares. And then we felt like that as well. Okay, so 2011, Black Up comes out. There'd been all this anticipation over the last couple of years, knowing that, um, you know, and kind of really hoping that Shabazz Palaces and Sub Pop would link up. And then they did. And then you're waiting to hear what they come out with. And Black Up comes out and you get it in your hands. And whether you got the, the CD, which is covered in this beautiful black velour with like uh, like some gold foil writing on it, or the wax, which has this matte black uh, um, uh, uh, jacket that's made of this material that's supposed to feel like skin, and I think caused some, some manufacturer issues down the line there. Um, so right out the gate, you're taking this stuff out, you're seeing the art, um, and you're like, this doesn't look like the other things I have to listen to right now. And this is the only thing I'm really trying to listen to and it just blew me away. Don't compare my beat with his. He ain't up off these streets. We slays. One thing I've seen in the bio lines for Shabazz and different social media has been the words hard and clear. And that to me was like really what Black Up sounded like to me. Just super hard, just smashing, just incredible bass. Mm-hmm. Just cracking and just really clear. Just really cut through a lot of muddy communication, thought, uh, um, culture at the time. It just seemed really clear in asserting its values, in clearly being a total break from everything else that was going on, not sounding like throwback, not sounding like the the kind of you know, alt-hip-hop stuff that was happening at the time at all. Just a total different animal and felt like an advancement, you know, to the degree. It reminded me of when I first heard Wu-Tang Forever. And I heard those violins and I was like, what the fuck is happening? There's there's a lot more going on here. So Ishmael's painting with a new palette. He's really taken his vocal processing to another level and is really kind of getting off with that. And has some stuff on there that is just like, you know, like Raekwon said, just this crazy, dangerous, bust-your-shit-open type beat. Black Up was presented with a striking visual, a short film by Seattle native Khalil Joseph, who'd go on to direct videos for artists like Flying Lotus, Kendrick Lamar, and of course, Beyonce, as the primary director of her acclaimed Lemonade film. Before Black Up, Khalil had directed a short called Bellhaven Meridian, a tribute to Charles Burnett's seminal film, Killer of Sheep. It starred Ishmael and featured two songs from the EPs. When Khalil did uh, the Black Up short film, I'd never seen anything like that, where it just kind of used little snippets and kind of couched it in this really beautiful short. But there's a really striking part in that, in the Black Up film, where it kind of goes over a... It's not a field, but there's like... There's a bunch of rocks and 
and stuff in 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 like a jungle area and you just see all these black bodies wearing white just kind of strewn around you know they're 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 dead and you hear the voice of Gil Scott Heron uh, over that. I've read all kinds of poetry. I mean, like, like from Leroy Jones to some African poets who, who only speak in syllables and, 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 and sound like you read the yellow pages backwards. It really just outlines some of the things, some of the lyrical motifs uh, from the record that that spoke to that. Uh, there's there's uh, on screen. Uh, huge letters when Ish raps the words heavy pain, megahertz. And it's not like megahertz like the measurement of electricity. It's like it megahertz, heavy pain. And he's really speaking to the really tragic uh, condition of our people in, in America. And really clearly, it's a lot of anger, but a lot of control and a lot of daring. And it just blew me away. And also at the same time, amidst all of that, is really fly, is really sexy, is really fun, you know? Really has fun talking some good shit, being really boastful in a real fly way that doesn't sound like the way everybody else is fly. With that moonlight on your mind, you wonder what you'll find. With the sunlight falling down, you got to find a sound. With that starlight in your eyes, you want to find surprise. With the neon in your blood, you move to find your love tonight. To me, um, and I've thought this from the first time I listened to Black Up, is that it is Raps Kid A. Like if you look, if you look at the trajectory of Radiohead and the trajectory of Ishmael Butler, like you have, you have two entities that made such phenomenal music, and then absolutely flipped it upside down and with with each of those but especially with black up these are things these are sounds these are shifts in movements that we haven't heard in hip hop and there are so many different styles there's you know the ominous experimental stuff that you were talking about there's like hints of jazz, hints of soul, just all like in this in this mishmash, this this gumbo of musical genius. And so for for Black Up to you know be kind of like that cult phenomenon that you were talking about, like it's one of those things where I feel as though people are they they tend to conform to things a bit. And so when when something is new and it's you know, it's another point that you brought up, it's the 
is the burden of being first. Mm. When something is new, people are like, oh, I don't get this. Oh, what's, you know, what's with this? What's right. with this guy? I can't conform to this. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know what it is to conform to it. So it's, it's a threat and it, you know, I'm supposed to conform to this other stuff. So I don't, I don't want to look crazy, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, people definitely, definitely, definitely approach it from that place. Yeah, and um, maybe maybe one day it will be regarded. Black Up will be regarded as the genre defying classic that Kid A was, because obviously Kid A was reached a phenomenal critical reception. And yeah, Black Up was critically acclaimed, but it felt as though it was very contained. It wasn't like this explosion where, you know, like Radiohead is like... They're the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, exactly. They were the biggest thing in the world already. Yeah. And then they they flipped the table over and that made them even bigger. I think that, you know, that probably has a lot to do with just industry, you know, kind of mm-hmm. flipping the table over and doing something completely out the box is not going to make you the biggest thing in the world doing hip hop. You know what I'm saying? And and flouting people's expectations and all of that. It's just, it's not always a winning formula yeah. in, in the realm of rap music. Exactly, because because the things that are propped up as the biggest thing in the world in hip-hop are usually the most commodified. And so, like, how do you commodify this shit? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> It's very difficult. Black Up felt like ground zero for what would be the Black Constellation. By then, the synergy with Eric Blood had really locked in, and the album's closing track, Swerve, gave us our first collaboration between Shabazz Palaces and Lee Satisfaction. The way my hips come United Negro, moving improvement act like you wanted when the groove went and proved you that you were wanted on the dance floor and you moved back to the wall with all that you knew. Black Up set up the modes of collaboration and sent out the call that would bring future members into the fold. Even the name Black Constellation itself came from Bob Hard, a song intended for that album. Black Up, if you will, almost functioned as a mission statement, a style guide. A map. Black is you, black is me, black is us, black is me, black is me, black is me, black is us, black is me, black is us. From there, the Shabazz catalog only grew. You had this incredible sophomore record, Least Majesty, which really continued that trajectory we had for Black Up, going deep into space, the sound getting bigger, weirder, deeper, harder. The visuals were insane. Go look at the video for the song Cake, directed by Hiro Mirai. It was the first time I'd seen his name, but not the last. He'd go on to direct stuff like Atlanta, Station Eleven, uh, numerous things that you've seen probably. Berlin, Daytona, Calabar, Momar, Dallas, Atlanta, Oten, Addis, Gaza, Ramallah, Seattle, Neptune, Tunis, Larry, Trina, Mogadishu. 
A few years would pass, and then Shabazz would drop a couple records in short order. The dual space-gazing worlds of quasars. There was quasars versus the jealous machines, and quasars born on a gangster star. And then there's their latest, The Dawn of Diamond Dreams, one of my favorite Shabazz records. But beyond the sounds of these records, Isha's lyrics have confounded listeners, sparked speculation and intrigue around their themes. Oblique, impressionistic. It's getting back to what you said about um, him being interested in other perspectives of his music. Yeah. Because he says, you know, I can't, can't explain, explain it with words. words. I, have I have to do, do it. it. Right. And, you know, having spoken with Ish, you know, in an interview capacity and, like, trying to get into, like, what goes through his mind, like, I can say firsthand that he he doesn't think about what he feels in the song what he's putting into the song he's just putting it into the song and he wants the listener to feel and engage and think and process everything he's putting into it it seems like an intrinsic process it seems like something that is that is cellular that's almost psychic that comes out of him and you know the stuff that the kind of stuff that that psychic energy, you know, like people people can feel that. For sure. Ish keeps alive a tradition, I think, that is super crucial to the culture that is being lost in the days of, uh, you know, add to cart, uh, annotate on genius, explain everything to death, uh, you know, full messy disclosure on the internet at all times. And that's uh, coded language and means of subverting authority and connecting with the people who can understand what you're saying. I spoke with Mekoyo Ali Barnes, the artist, filmmaker, and Constellation member, about this in our interview. There's something nice about codes, you know? And I think there's a lot lost in the now because so much of the code is often given up. It's on Genius.com. Oh. Right on. And, and, and it's funny because that's that's, that was the function of Songcraft at some point. Mm-hmm. Here's a code mm-hmm. to literally get your ass free. Yep. Absolutely. They're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. They can't crack this. Or And again, to not frame it from that space of yes. those codes may have been the thing that communicated with something interstellar. And yes, absolutely. You know, uh, the coded uh, uh, songs of, you know, People in bondage is a very real part of our history. But simultaneously and previous, yeah. there were, you know, means of communication with other realms, you know? So, yes, get yourself free, both literally and, you know, on more esoteric levels. You know, when people talk about Isha's lyrics, uh, Shabazz Palace's stuff, 
it's it's always kind of referenced how spacey and cosmic it is and all that is there of course you know sci-fi themes really futuristic stuff going on but the part you can't miss and that is there from the very beginning the first the first lyrics you hear on any shabazz palace's music it's street stuff you know what i mean he's really speaking to where he's from in a really tangible and coded way and he just kind of really speaks like seattle cd better than just about anybody he really keeps it alive you know when you hear him say stuff like safe to say you know that's 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 real seattle game that's what cats say or used to say you know older heads so he really kind of keeps a really like icy seattle street menace that i i don't think a lot of people know is present but is very tangible in shabazz's music and i really really appreciate how he keeps it alive i think about his line from the EPs. We ride around the city like ghosts. Why would I tell you in a song where the toast is? Float around the town like ghosts. Why would I tell you in my song where the toast is? I scope out your motives, keep you in focus, then this. His very seasoned game really stands out amongst uh, younger heads who indict themselves at all times in their own lyrics. But I guess that's encouraged the way that we uh, engage with technology and social media in particular. And that's why he, in particular, has been very distrustful of it and uh, made songs thinking about its effects on our psyche. Behold the soft cyber caress, my television, who's my lover, the jealous machines and devices Struggle to find the light switch. Followers following, leading nowhere. I mean, there was basically a whole record about that. Quasars versus the Jealous Machines. And on the cover of it, you see a really cool cartoon rendering of a bunch of the Constellation. It looks like they're in some kind of, like, bar in space someplace, in some spaceport, wearing some crazy clothes. And they're all looking at their phones. And even their phones look kind of kind of wild. But everybody's kind of just... They're together, but everybody's in their own individual world looking at the phone, which is very familiar. That is very much the now. And I know that's something that Ishmael's always been like, this phone offers a lot of access and, 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 you know, shows me a lot of things. But it also, like, drains my time and my attention and my ability to, you know, communicate, even though it's supposed to help us communicate, right? Yeah. He calls it um, on the record. He calls it his um, his glowing phantom limb, which, yeah, I mean, anyone who has a phone, which is pretty much everyone, can relate to that. Like you, you have this this cellular, almost psychic attachment to your phone, where you make sure it's always on you, or if it vibrates, even if it's across the room, you can tell, and. It's it's unnatural yeah. for us as humans to be, you know, to have a device as a as a limb, as an appendage. And I think it speaks to that suspicion very well. Absolutely. And not in just some like Luddite way. It's con- it's 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 conflicted because we're all a part of it, right? And yeah, I mean, it reprograms our brains and our bodies. Like, how many times have you felt your phone vibrate 
and then you realize your phone isn't even in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Like that shit is crazy. And so just thinking about how, you know, who knows what what's at work there, uh, stuff that we don't even understand. Uh, Shabazz speaks to that really well. In a KEXP in-studio session from 2017, Ish spoke with Constellation member and Street Sound's host at the time, Stas the Boss. What's it like on the gangster star? <laughs> <laughs> Who are the rival gangs? <laughs> gangster star. Not the Crips, but they do wear blue. Okay. Sharks. <laughs> out in the streets. Murderous mentalities. Um, unofficial, unimaginative, provincial thinkers. But we expand them now. We tend not to think about them that much. You know, we always got our head to the sky. Um, looking towards the light and bringing it with us when we arrive. And trying to jump on the moment and expand it out, push it up a little bit. What do you do when you're not on your phone? I, I really enjoy life, you know? I, I smell more things and see more things and use my senses more like I feel like I should, you know? I broaden them. This idea of life versus machine Gish and I spoke further on this in a recent interview. How about getting back from touring with Least Majesty? He felt a major shift in our relationship to technology. I think maybe I was like just feeling how the 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 devices have really tipped the scale, you know what I mean? And become, you know, a lot of people think like when the machines took over, it was going to be like auto uh, automated machines come into your house and attack you. But it's more like, can you live without this thing? Or if you don't have it, what can you do now? And it's, it's well beyond the point of being able to live without them and shit, so. Failing for my phone, I was my glowing phantom limb. Orchids in my robe, staring at the sun. Passwords pile up and so pulling on my gun. Despite all this, Ish remains a technologist nonetheless. Technology to me, because I don't really understand the inner workings of it, is magic to me. And I'm able to operate and get around on it and, like, get my ideas out. And um, um, that's the cool part about studio stuff to me, Uh, expedition expeditiously being able to do things, affordably being able to do things, high quality, being able to do things, morphs and expansions on ideas that push and and make you have different ideas and hear things in a different way. Um, On down to sort of the, you know, proliferation of product online and on social media. Like, all of these things are magic and fascinating to me. But... They also <clears throat> signal an end to a certain aspect of humanity that I remember, that I grew up on, that I was reared on, that's near and dear to me. And it's difficult to see vanish for something that to my generation seems superficial, which is proliferation of your own image and allowing yourself, volunteering for different types of judgment, and then those judgments 
mattering to you, not only in, in, in the physical world, monetary world, in the marketplace, but in your mind, in your heart. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a monumental invention into the, into the arc of hum, humanity, you know? And uh, I think people feel all kinds of ways about it. I know I do. Beyond his own work, Isha's energy permeates those around him and artists who've been touched by his work. I think that's why he's one of the very few hip-hop acts that has toured with the likes of Radiohead, uh, My Morning Jacket, uh, with Julian Casablancas from The Strokes, uh, who are all big fans uh, and specifically wanted to tour with Ishmael. And his influence, of course, is felt in hip-hop itself. You hear him name-checked by such leaders of the new school as Earl Sweatshirt. Mask off, mask on, we trick-or-treating. Back off, stand off, we shouldn't need me. Yeah, my nigga is told him it's a feeling. Glass off, butt shot into my ceiling. ASAP Rocky. I find it hard to find actual talent. I find it hard to find an actual challenge. Unlike Shabazz Palace's last acid hit, elaborate rap labs, labyrinth, road to Kodax, Black's Lazarus. He's collaborated deeply with Flying Lotus and Thundercat. One lines is open, swinging from the roping, rolling dice and hoping to follow from the dope man. even started a project with Fly Low, Thundercat, and George Clinton under the moniker Woke. Writer, curator, healer, Negara Kudumu further illustrates Isha's impact by citing a tweet from one of hip-hop's most significant names. I think it was very telling a few years back when Jay-Z made that tweet talking about his favorite rappers. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, Ishmael was on there. Yeah. Ishmael was on there. hmm <laughs> You know? And, I mean, and again, thinking about Ishmael, I mean, there are any number of words synonymous with brilliant that we can use, but I think that one way I would love to see Ishmael documented is thinking about the ways that he has successfully iterated and become more of himself Mm. and continued to raise the bar on the quality. And I think that has been part of what has secured his longevity. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about an individual who has been in the game now for 30 plus years. It's rare, yeah. And has intentionally not made a lot of the decisions that many of his peers have had. That's right. He has not um, gone the commercial entertainment route. Filmmaker Dream Hampton reflects on what makes Ishmael so unique. You know, anyone who's experienced Ish, it is about the present moment. It's one way to live your life. It's not the only way. But it's like, I would say, uh, you know, a really profound way. Um, Like, you know, people don't walk away from Ish wondering if they if he was paying attention or like if he was multitasking (laughs) 
right. like he's super locked in in every moment that he's in. But the wow. thing around Ish being present all the time is that um, it, it's what makes his musical output so exciting. Now in his 50s and is still fresh, still the freshest cat in the room, still hilarious, still vital, still listening to what his kids are listening to, understanding it, understanding why it's dope. You know what I mean? Like he's been to me like a living testament of understanding that you never, you don't have to fall off. You don't have to get whack. You don't have to like become a cornball just because you're older or you've got a family or, you know, you're not uh, the, the young guy anymore. And I think that's a really, that's the thing we understand a lot better now. But when Ish first came out as Shabazz Palaces, I don't think people got that at all. And we're kind of like, huh, what's this about? But at the time when he came out, he was fully one of the very best MCs in his age bracket uh, which included cats like Scarface and E-40 and mm-hmm. Ghostface, you know, some of the most well-regarded guys on the mic and still putting it down. So Ish- Ishmael putting out such a bold thing to me really, really, really stands stands up. His sub-pop colleagues also recognize his brilliance. I mean, I- Ishmael is one of the greatest thinkers I, I think we've ever worked with. He... I always um, say it's. I mean, it's it's cliche. It's like he doesn't think inside the box because there is no box with him. He is, he's just so expansive in every single way. His kind of expression and art is, it's so layered and it's so deep and, um, and there's there is so nothing linear about any of it. He sniffs out corniness like faster than anyone else on the planet, right? Like he just and has zero tolerance for it. Right? He's the intention is all I feel like with him because his intention and what he believes is is the role of an artist, right? I think he takes that very seriously. Like what what you're meant to do if you're an artist and you're saying something, and part of that is to push the boundaries of what art is and what art has done before. And so if you aren't doing that, then w- you're failing as an artist, right? And, um, or worse, if you're clearly your intention is just to make a bunch of money or be as popular as, as possible or have a lot of clout or whatever, like, yeah, then, then that's, there's no, no room for you. Right. Um, not that I don't want to make him sound intolerant because he's not. Um, I don't think he cares. It, but there's no room for you in in his world, right? What he's going to ingest, and he certainly doesn't have any interest in participating in that sphere. That's the sort of thing that you know. Everything you do should be in you know in building the brand, you know, like, and when you're not, it's a missed opportunity right. to do that, which is a missed opportunity to basically to make money, you know, right. which I always felt like that's a cool concept and I get it, but I always felt like the fact that every single person wanted to subscribe to it was weird because 
in this field of creativity, you would imagine that everybody would have their goals, but get to the goals in different ways, you know? Right. right. So the notion that every person wants to the same thing and wants to go about getting it the same way, that doesn't seem authentic to me. So whereas I respect that way and I understand it and stuff like that, I just never subscribe to it myself. Not just the artist on the roster. It's joined Sub Pop as part of their A&R team, signing the likes of Porter Ray, Cartel Madras, and you know. You know recalls Ish reaching out to him. We were talking about that. I don't know exactly how he found my music, but he just messaged me on SoundCloud one day and said he liked my music and uh, told me he was uh, working with Sub Pop. And we kind of just kept in touch for probably like a year or two. And I didn't put out anything new in that time, but he said he wanted to send my stuff to Sub Pop and play it for them and see what they thought of it. And apparently they liked it and flew me out to Seattle to meet everyone and signed a deal. (laughs) He also takes inspiration from someone close to home, his own son, Jazz Butler, better known as the rapper Lil Tracy. You're nothing but a beautiful nightmare. Don't go away. Just stay. Just stay. Pull up in a bench truck, bump it little Now Tracy and his gone much too soon collaborator, Lil Peep, are huge influences in the world of what is reductively called SoundCloud rap. Their signature blend of rap and emo rock has basically become its own genre and influenced others like Lil Nas X. Ish's own later work reflects an appreciation of his son's music, and his tastes incorporate lots of music that he's found out through his son and his two daughters, Dania and Kyla. He's got to be one of the only rappers to emerge from New York's golden age who could speak eloquently about G. Herbo, or the genius of the bass god. He never rejects new information, never stops learning. She said it's like I stepped out of dream. As much as Ishmael's influence has been felt in ways that are seen and unseen, uh, one of the biggest influences on him that keeps him relevant, of course, is his family and his chosen family. There's a feeling, an outlook that binds the constellation. It's a way, uh, a common instinctive drive that they share. And it was Shabazz's articulation of that that served as the call that rallied them together. Yeah, so I feel there's a family that you are born into. Yeah blood relatives and then there's the family of people that you meet throughout your life that you somehow through the force of nature were drawn to and around and and stay around the the sort of nature of the relationship um, will change just like everything in nature does but there's an underlying bond that 
even out of contact, out of contact with the person that you have that relationship with, that familiar relationship, they still play a factor in your daily life on your the way you react to things and your decision making because you're conscious of that person and their energy and their thoughts and the times that you was around them. So you support one another, whether it could be really physical, but also it could also be telepathic in a way, you know, but the bond is not really something you can explain, but it's something that you find in life. It's the jewelry of life, really, that you stumble upon people that become your family. From around the continent, the Constellation has grown, found each other, collaborated, laughed. This found family, the Black Constellation, is never stagnant. It continues to grow and evolve, create new works. So to find myself amongst these people, and, and their families, the ones that brought them here and the ones that they brought here. You feel me? Like, all kind of interconnection. Again, it's age old, um, but at the same time, it's a, it's a revolution. It's a, it's, a, it's a new, always a new thing because through instinct is, is originality, you know? So everybody with that confidence of, that's being sort of bolstered up by the cats that surround you to do your thing and, and feel good about it and all and take chances and all that those cliche kind of things we feel empowered to do that it's affirming like yeah 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 like everybody is cool yeah when I think about the constellation it's it's like it's life affirming you know, we also talk about, you know, it's, it's always going to be ups and downs because, like I said, it's always life. In real life, it's in nature, there's ups and downs. Things die and then are reborn. But, you know, you grow and you do all that kind of on the same fertile ground that we all sort of ended up on. So, yeah, it makes me know that it's a groove, you know, like, you could find a groove. That's that's rare, you know. When talking with others about Ishmael Butler, the word rare comes up often. I think part of what makes his energy unique is that in a time when our attention is constantly being tugged at, Ish stays present in the eternal now, responding and creating first and foremost from a place of pure instinct. I don't know where I learned the the, the, the notion that through instinct comes originality. Like if you can, um, if you can go from your instinct to the the, the, the the finished product without filtering it through a whole bunch of other considerations that come from the outside, that's when you had the best potential to be um, original. Mm. Which to me, original, like when I hear something that's original, that's what really gets me going. You know what I mean? Next week, we'll dig into the music and life of MC, producer, DJ, whose own originality caught the attention of Ishmael and myself early on. I was knocked out because conceptually, it was such a realized concept. Um, It was always funky and imaginative. 
the play off of each other was, was sensational. Join us on that next episode for the story of Stas, the boss. Oh, I, I want to be on and popping right now. I don't want to be remembered. I want like a continuous like stream of like y'all fucking with me because everyone says that oh they're gonna they're gonna in twenty years from now they're gonna put these out on it. You you guys are gonna blow up. You're gonna have like a second, a third wave. I'm like nah. I don't. I want it now. You know. This episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship was written, produced, and edited by Martin Douglas, Janice Headley, Dusty Henry, Isabel Khalili and myself, Larry Mizell Jr., with crucial guidance from Reka Murthy. The audio production by Julian Martlew and mastering by Matt Ogaz. We just want to thank Sub Pop Records and all the fam in the Constellation who've given us permission to feature their music in this episode. Money, 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 and we want to money, thank you, the money, listener. Money, My name's God. Isabel Kelly I'm one of the folks who's been working on this podcast, and I'm here to remind you that KEXP is listener-funded. That means that the freedom we have to pursue projects like this podcast comes completely from the support of our community. And if you're here with us now, you're part of that community. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and want to support the show, you can go to kexp.org slash fresh. A one-time gift of $35 can make a huge difference. Or if you prefer to show your support in a different way, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, leaving a rating, a review really helps other people find the podcast. So thanks again, and hope you can join us on the next episode to learn more about the artists of the Black Constellation.